Welcome back to a very jet-lagged episode of the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, joined by Spencer Paulison here at the great Velo News World Headquarters in Boulder, Colorado. Spencer, how are you today? Hey, I'm just fresh as a daisy. I got some, got a great night of sleep. I'm feeling good. You'll be fine, Fred. Come on. Listen, Uh, you were filing most of your stories probably around this time when you're in France, around midnight. So this is like, you're actually hitting your peak time of the day for optimal uh, productivity and takes. Oh man, if this is optimal take time for me, then I, I don't know. I think I'm going to be like uh, take handicapped today. You're Spencer. You are going to have to bring all of the energy, all the takes to today's episode, <sighs> the Velonies, because I'm effing jet lagged. I landed about 1 a.m. last night on the uh, long flight from Paris to Dallas. That's just how much we love our listeners. Yeah, that's true. Velonies listeners, Velonies podcast listeners, take note. Like we're working, working, working overtime. For Hardest you guys. working cycling podcast in the business. Ooh, can confirm. I can confirm that that is not true. Velonews can confirm that. Yeah, they're <laughs> not. <laughs> What's it called? The bicycle podcast, cycling podcast, cycling podcast. Yeah, those guys are great. I was trying to not actually say their name. They're very hard working. Out of respect. Um, across all brands, though, I still think Villanus. We're like Avis. We try harder. Um, <laughs> so, so how was the tour? How it was, was it? A, it was an enjoyable experience. Uh, didn't do laundry for a long time. Ate heavy French food. Um, spent a lot of time in traffic jams. And then even more time just like shoving my recorder in the faces of cyclists, elbowing journalists out of the way and like just spitting questions at them. Spitting hot fire. Yeah, spitting hot fire. But no, it was a great experience. Um, so we need to do a bit of a recap, Spencer, because we have some takes. We got to get to the takes. You mm. have a take. Mm-hmm. I have a take. Um, and then we're going to chat about La Course by Le Tour de France. This was the two-day women's race that included a summit finish atop the Col d'Isouard and then a very strange unorthodox pursuit-style TT through the streets of Marseille. Um, I draft, spoke, draft legal, draft though, right? legal. Which is awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. It was weird. It was pretty weird. And I caught up with a number of uh, female cyclists to talk about the format. Uh, we definitely have some takes coming so out of So they actually one. talked to you even though you weren't doing your laundry. Yeah. Amazing. No, they did. And, wow. uh, and I guess it's a European thing, maybe. Well, and it was like... Oh man, it was 90 degrees and swampy in Marseille, <laughs> and I I was like walking around. I literally looked like I'd been like playing like pickup basketball <laughs> or something like that. I was so sweaty and disgusting. They're just like, "Did you run a marathon to get here?" I'm like, "No, I'm disgusting." <laughs> Can I drink some of your Gatorade? Yes. Would you like to smell my bo and listen to my questions? Well, fortunately, there is not a smell feature yet for audio. Yeah, for podcasts, that's true. Because so, um, it would be coming yeah. in pretty thick. We're fine. We're all good. Um, but let's get to it off the top. Um, takes on this year's Tour de France. Spencer, you watched the tour from the confines of your basement as a basement-dwelling media well, blogger. I live in a second-floor condo, so okay. I don't know if that technically... It well, was... I, yeah, so I watched it like everyone, I think, did. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully, you caught most of it. Um, there were moments of excitement. There were moments where I, I was, you know, surprised and I enjoyed it. Uh, I think on the balance, though, for me, this tour route, which they played off as being an unconventional route that was going to encourage attackers and aggressive racing and everything. To me, this route 
didn't quite achieve that. I did a story for the Velo News website yesterday calling it the Tour de Mer. Yeah, dude, you're underselling uh, your take. Your take yeah, yeah. is hot. Oh, okay. Dropping, right. okay. dropping hot flame take bombs. Tour de Mer. So the biggest thing Meh. for me, the biggest thing Meh. for me is that this tour was one on time trials. Yep. It really was. Chris Froome killed it in the first time trial despite it being just greasy, nasty, slippery, wet. And then in the final time trial on your swampy day in Marseille, he was flawless. I mean, just looked insanely good for having come off of, you know, three weeks of the hardest Uh racing that you could do any given year. So for me, that's not how I want to see Grand Tours being won. I want to see Grand Tours being won in the high mountains. I want to see epic attacks. I want to see see some panache. Chris Room did not win a single stage in this Tour de France. And I'll tell you, last year, yeah, he won by four minutes, so it's a little snoozy in that respect. But, man, when he went on the attack, that was insane when he was attacking on the downhill off of the Parisur. When he was attacking with Peter Sagan, give me more of that. That's what I want to see to win a Tour de France, to win a Grand Tour. I don't want to see people winning this in the arrow bars. Wait, so are you saying that Chris Froome, like, having to get a new wheel from Mikko Kwiatkowski and chase back on when uh, Aja Duzer, H2R, is nuking it on the front, isn't panache? Are you saying that, like, Chris Froome almost falling off his bicycle on the paragoods uh, riding up that landing strip, that's not panache? I, I need more takes. I need more... I need a take clarification. First of all, I do need a take take clarification. Okay. Spencer, is it tour de meh, tour de meh, or full-blown tour de meh? Like how mm. how meh is your meh? I think it's an I think it's option 2. Okay. Like I I preface this by saying there were some moments, yep. you know, the flat tire thing, the the paragoods thing, those were those were good stages in in their own way. To me, and I'm going to get blown up for this because I know a lot of people out there like Soccer, a.k.a. football, a.k.a. footy, as Mr. Froome might call it. Uh, this just felt to me like trying to watch, and I do mean trying, a 1-0 soccer game Ooh. where where the, the teams are just kind of kicking the ball around the middle of the field. And you can keep talking about how there's only one goal that, you know, it's just one goal. They could tie it up. That It could happen at any minute. They could go down and just, you know, kick the ball into the goal and win or it's like no that's not gonna happen they're just gonna kick it around for the next 45 minutes spencer that's that's the problem i have with this tour is is it it created the the illusion of 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 an unexpected outcome it created the illusion of suspense but really uh, team sky's got four guys on the front let's face it that's there's no one's no one's attacking over you know over up up the iswar no one's attacking over um the day before, totally drawn a blank. What, what was the climb the day before? Uh, Paracutes? No. no, Jesus Christ. That was the, that was like a I've week gone, before. I've gone catatonic. <laughs> the Galibier. Oh, yeah. The Galibier. One. No yeah. one's attacking the Galibier. Well, I mean, you know. They kind of. Bardet didn't. tried to, and yeah. then, he, then he yelled at Rigoberto Iran for not attacking. It's like, uh, yeah, uh, tactics. Um, Part of bike racing, turns out. I, I hear you, man. First, let me address your real basic soccer take. It's the beautiful game, man. Like, <laughs> 
zero zero nil like nil nil ties there's like beauty in that it's just about um finding you know like the nuance and the understanding flow. the flow oh, okay now yeah. that i'm done with my like my total hottie jackass soccer take <laughs> um, i can get back to because i lay yeah, i'm with you whatever soccer's boring um well so am i, I think, so how was it in the press room were people stoked on this tour were they were they getting bored tell me about it um, from, I mean, from the on the ground perspective I, honestly the on the ground perspective is so different because the on the ground perspective is so wrapped up in the experience of being a journalism a journalist there which is like being you know yelled at by a gendarme for parking in the wrong place and like having to drive across the country and you get oh yeah there. and our car got towed BTW. Yeah. i yeah. mean <laughs> honestly man like i you know i'm asking these questions because i don't you know, when you're at the tour de france you don't get to see a ton of the race ironic like, yeah like covering the biggest bike race in the world you don't actually get to watch much of the bike race you get there it's chaotic you run to the buses you try to get grabs you interview people um and and i'm not going to argue with you you know i think this race was very much marketed to the cycling fan as a punchy race where time gaps are going to be close where the excitement is going to be high and you know it's true it was punchy the time gaps were close kept it close all the way to the end i mean every time uh Froome or anyone else was interviewed was like well we just don't know about that time trial but yeah the type of action that was the biggest sandbag right. by the way like come on chris <laughs> yeah. Froome, you, you, you know, know you, you know you don't need uh more than a 30 right. second lead you you, you could have Come on. Or was, there was a lot of like, well, you know, mechanical. Chris from get a flat tire. You know, an insane person could uh, run out on the course, the chainsaw, and uh, cut his head off. You know, like <laughs> any number of like awful things could have happened. It was just like 747 could land on him. You never know. That's, that's why they hold the race. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. We just kept looking for these ways to right. to, to characterize right. this as a close race. That's exciting. And yeah, time gaps are close. But is it a close race? Well, and yeah, no. So it didn't necessarily live up to that standard. Now, the take that our good pal Kaylee Fretz has been putting forward is that, well, this was a bike racers race. And it is true, um, you know, especially stage 14 going into uh, Rodez. I mean, that's sort of the... That was a good finish. That was a good finish. I agree there. Um, and then stage going into La Puy and Valet, obviously, when Chris Froome has the flat and Team Sky has to rally the troops to get him back up there. Those are the moments of excitement. But... Yeah, I mean, it 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 underdelivered, and I think you, in your take, you expressed some uh, good opinions on why that is, and basically how you would have made it better. So let's hear it, Mister uh, Twitter France Takeologist. How would you have made this year's race more exciting? Right. So again, the time trials is killing me. Like we can't have these time trials be such a huge player in the final result. I get that they're important and part of a grand tour, and that's that's necessary, but the race should not be purely won on a time trial, in my opinion. I think that if we'd move that uh, that final stage 20 time trial back to week two instead, I think that would have been a better approach. I feel like the riders wouldn't have been quite so gassed for it. I feel like they would have had opportunities then to attack in the final week rather than holding their cards a little for that time trial. And furthermore... In terms of that final week, instead of the time trial, they would have been better served by taking one of these short mountainous stages like we had for stage 13, which I'd say is easily one of the best, if not the best stage of this tour in terms of pure action. Give us one of those stages 
in that uh, in that final week. I mean, heck, look at the way that they always finish Perry Nice with that uh, that circuit around Nice on the Corniche. That's always such a great race, and it's that type of course that provokes a very aggressive, exciting racing. Give me one of those late in the week. Give me one of those in that third week. It's going to be much, much better for the GC battle. And then the other thing I'd say is, and this maybe doesn't pertain as much to the overall battle for yellow, but God, there were so many flat sprint stages in this tour. Yeah. So many. Like, like I think five, I counted five, 200 plus kilometer sprint stages. Give me a break, guys. that, that, That doesn't, nobody needs that. Well, especially when like half of your sprinter core is out within the first 10 days. And, you know, if that hadn't happened, maybe we would have been a little more stoked on those stages. But regardless, I'm not tuning in until like 30K to go, maybe. Like, give me, like, instead of that, we need, we need to take those flat stages and find ways to make them trickier, to, to have more, more sort of, of an unexpected outcome, maybe something that favors a breakaway better. There weren't really any breakaways except for Edvald Bosenhagen's that uh, succeeded on those flat stages. Give me some more opportunities for the breakaways. I'll tell you, I love crosswinds. Crosswinds will make any flat stage exciting. And if they can find a way to give this route more of that, at least potentially. Ooh, giant fans. Big giant fans. Yep, we could do some fans. fans. Um, Get maybe some sort of agricultural fan sponsor Mm, in on mm -hmm. the mix to sponsor these flat stages. Yeah, it just kills me to to have these – it's so much of the time spent on these flat stages. So those are those are, I'd say would be my, my main ways to improve this route. Um, Spencer, I got a I got a take to come back at you with. I think you could do all the race route doctoring you want. You could add giant industrial fans. You could put short stages at the end of the race. You could remove those time trials. You could do all these things, and it's not going to change the fact that Team Sky is the most dominant team out there. And if they are leading a race, if they have a man in yellow, it's just going to end up being a boring GC battle. That's just kind of the way it is. I mean, I'm with you, man. Stage 13 in Foix was super exciting. And you know why it was super exciting? They couldn't control it. Because Team Sky was not in the race lead. Yeah. Chris Room had lost the jersey, and yeah, it was incumbent very, on, very on Team Sky to play the role of the aggressor, to send Mika Kwiatkowski up the road, to send Mika Landa on the attack to do all these things that we don't typically see. And they're the ones that have the talent to be able to blow a race apart on a day like that. So, um, you know, the, the key, you don't get stage 13's excitement unless you have stage 12 and Froome losing time. Yep. So very true. Very I'm with true. you, man. Like I, I, I want to see an exciting tour, but until we find a way to uh, not have team sky with its, uh, you know, arsenal of talent, I don't. I just don't know if that's going to happen. Well, we'll see what happens next year if they are able to effectively reduce team sizes by one rider, yep. which is pretty much what they say they're going to do. But we'll we'll see if that that actually ends up happening. But We're going to have lots of takes on that. Um, that maybe that'll change it. Maybe it won't. Probably yep. not. I mean, shit. Uh, excuse me, uh, Jaron Thomas. He he was out of the race yep. after the first stage. So I mean, there you go. Sky's down one rider. So. Moving on to a take that I just wrote uh, for the site today, which has to do with Team Sky. Um, I'm opining on Team Sky, Chris Froome, and their media strategy for this year's Tour de France because it is customary at the Tour de France for the team in the lead, the Maillot Jaune, to hold a press conference 
on one or both of the tour's rest days. And this year, Team Sky had a different strategy. They they held zero press conferences during the tour. They held one before the race, but it was like three or four days beforehand, so there weren't too many journalists in town. Um, But they didn't have one. Instead, they had this invite-only media accessibility thing for broadcast print and digital were not invited that is the one infamously that uh, cycling news showed up at uninvited and prompted dave brailsford to kick the reporter out and tell him to stick it up your arse (laughs) hey stick it up your arse um and so i started thinking about this and you know it's a shame that sky opted to have this media strategy. We were able to talk with Chris Froome in a press conference the eve before the final day, basically after the time trial, the day before the Champs-Élysées, which is customary. And Froome came in, gave us 20 minutes and answered the questions. And he's great. You know, Chris Froome is a very skilled media person. Um, He can offer genuine insight. He can deflect all of the potential landmines. And he can like, he can give you an answer that does that does two things like satisfies the journalist and keeps him out of trouble in a in a pretty skilled way. And so it just struck me hearing Chris Froome answer all these questions that it was a bummer that we didn't get to have that during the race because there were these larger topics, these sort of 30,000-foot topics in cycling and in the race, that it would be great to have been able to ask Chris Froome about that you just don't get. Because here's what happens during the Tour de France. Like the guy who's in the yellow jersey, stage one or whatever, they cross the finish line, there's a scrum. A zillion reporters run up to him, just start shouting at him, putting their iPhones and recorders and cameras in their faces. And basically all you can get out of there is like, I'm so happy with the way it turned out. It was a grueling stage. And then like the PR people whisk him away. Then there is the broadcast mix zone where it's TV people and some radio asking kind of banal questions. Wait, wait, radio? They're still like... Yeah, there's some radio. And they're trying they're basically just trying to get a sound bite, you know, like yeah. oh Chris, your performance today was impeccable. You dropped blah 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 blah. It you know, like the radio broadcaster a lot of times ends up doing more talking or the TV broadcaster does more talking than the actual answer. And the answers are very simple. They're yes, in sound no. bites. There's not a lot of follow up questions. There's nothing that's particularly in depth. Then we get to do a video chat. Q&A with Froome or the stage winner that's very short. We're in the media room. They're some other place staring at a camera. And you can ask your question, but it's mostly about the race action of the Wait, day. Wait, you, you aren't even in the same room? No, no, no. You're really? not in the same room. No, no. Whoa. They don't have to smell us. They don't have to look at us eating our bad media food and are <laughs> dressed in our terrible, shabby journalist clothing. Did you have your your little hat on with the ticket in the hand? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey there, Chris. Yeah. Hey, it's Fred from the Vela News Tribune. Hey, fellow. Um, and so in the in that forum, it's just not a particularly great place to ask larger, broader questions either. Like you do have to have a press conference conference for to have that. And granted, like a lot of the questions that get asked in a press conference are pretty weird. Like they're not great questions, 
But there are there is the opportunity to ask good questions. And at this press conference, people did. I mean, they asked him about about his media strategy. Hey, Chris, why didn't you do this? And he said, well, it was actually my decision. Um, these media days are very stressful for me. It's not great for rest, yada, yada, yada. Um, I asked him about... He was all... He was all if it were for the media, I would call it a media day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He cracked a joke, man. He was like, a joke. Ah, it's a rest day. Oh, <laughs> by the way, our, some good people have been swimming in my Twitter mentions for my Chris Froome accent, so we'll see how they liked that one. Yeah, no, I'm sure, oh, I'm sure they'll love that one. Oh, it's so nice to speak uh, in a Chris Froome voice. You know, people asked him about his legacy. People asked him about the toughest moments of this year's tour, very specific questions about the Paragood stage, which, you know, having two weeks to reflect on he said you know now that more and more I think about it it was a fueling issue it wasn't so much a tactics or whatever it was that I just I got my feeling wrong um, I asked him about cycling's inequity whether there should be a salary cap what he thinks about you know big budget small budget and he gave a great answer you know his answer was sort of that uh, that answer that drives we American sports fans up the wall which you know it's like hey man like you got to have the big budget, strong super teams. We're the ones who develop riders for the rest of the sport. Um, you know, cycling is about the strongest getting stronger and the weakest trying to get strong. Um, that is not the way American sports work. No. The weakest, the weakest teams get the draft picks. Yeah, we we allocate the most uh, sought after resources towards the crappiest teams. Sorry, fans of the Sacramento Kings, <laughs> but you guys suck. Uh, your team sucks, um, and so. Yeah, Froome gave this great answer, and it just made me think, you know, these are missed opportunities for us to be able to ask Chris Froome questions. Well, so let's step this back for a sec, Fred, because I I, I certainly understand where where you're going with this. I'm not so sure if our listeners will really quite see the point as far as what the end result is. Obviously, as media people, as journalists, we like as much access as we can get. We like unfettered access. We don't want to be harnessed and told what we can or can't ask them about we want to just have free reign and that's all well and good what does that mean in terms of the end result that our readers would see on Velo News or any of the other cycling websites or even mainstream media for that matter why does it even matter to the average cycling fan well I think it matters to the cycling fan in places like the United States and South America because we just don't have day-to-day, week-in, week-out access to Chris Froome. You know, okay, if you're in the British press and you have someone stationed in Monaco and going to every single race, um, then, yeah, you know, a couple times a year you're going to have the opportunity to sit down with Chris Froome and ask him questions to get genuine insight on how they feel about the races, how they feel about cycling in general. You know, these are sort of 30,000-foot questions. I mean, I, I care what Chris Froome thinks about inequity in cycling. I care what Chris Froome thinks about his team's media strategy. Like, these are things that, yeah, okay, it's it's just a bit higher level than, like, oh, what did you do when, like, you got dropped and you tried to get back on? Oh. Which ends up being sort of the the um, the scrum questions. It's all about action, and so we just don't have very many opportunities for that. Um, we get them at their um, preseason training camps. We'll get a guy like Chris Froome then. Maybe get him once or twice during the season, but there's just there's just really few opportunities. And I mean. I don't know. I'm like a Velo News reader. I want to know what Chris Froome thinks about these things. I want to know, like... Well, it's it, it's it's more of the in-depth is what we're talking about. Right. And, and things that are more revelatory 
terms of what actually is happening, what's going on behind the scenes, what he thinks about all these interesting right. topics. And, you know, the, the subtext here is that, yes, Chris Froome rides for Team Sky. Team Sky is at the year from hell. Year from hell. Like, the whole Fancy Bears hack, which unearthed the Bradley Wiggins TUE, which got us all talking about corticosteroids, which then got everyone talking about Jiffy bags and whether this bag was delivered. Yes, Bradley Wiggins' package. Yes, package, which then started the parliamentary inquiry and people taking pot shots at Davis Brailsford. It's been a PR hell for Team Sky. And I am genuinely curious to know how that has impacted Chris Froome and how mentally he has shielded himself. Like, he's done a pretty good job in the press to clarify his possession position with uh, around this controversy. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you as a media want more opportunities to ask Chris Froome about a lot of different topics, including this one. And we had one opportunity for that really at this post-race press conference. And one guy asked him about it and he gave a short answer and basically said, eh, it didn't really impact me throughout this year's race. And that's fine. You know, that's that's totally fine. But you need a chance to ask that you question. You need a chance to ask, yeah. ask that question. Yep. Yep. And the other thing that I'll get to is this invite-only media thing. Like, yeah. invite-only, that's, that's just a bad look. I mean, that ha- I mean, that type of stuff happens all the time in politics. It happens in sports. But it's a bad look. It's a way of trying to control the message. And, um, you know, by and large, when you're inviting only broadcasters, broadcasters are asking simple questions that – are there for sound bites. They're not, you know, print and digital people like us that are asking a little bit broader. I can't believe questions. they didn't invite the Velo News show though. Yeah. It's such a true. such an influential yeah. oh, uh, man. video program. I know both of our viewers yeah, wow. very upset on that really one. Bummer. Huh. Maybe, um, maybe next year. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, I hope they bring the press conferences back. I think it's a bad look to get rid of them. So here's hoping. I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure influential people within Team Sky Management are listening. Uh, bring back the press conferences, guys. Hey, guys. What's up? Hey. hey. Um, okay, let's get on to LaCourse. Um, I was there. I was there at the Years Award. I was there in Marseille. I thought it was a very strange event. Mm. Um, in talking with riders, there seemed to be... A lot of enthusiasm around the Izuard Day. People were pretty jazzed on it. Yeah, that. I mean, the crowds were there. Yep. And how often do you actually have a pure mountaintop finish like this in a women's world tour race? There really are precious few opportunities for pure, pure climbers yep. to do a summit finish like the Izuard. I mean, occasionally Giro Rosa will do something like that. Not this year. It was a weird route for the Giro Rosa this year, by the way. Uh, and, uh, I'm trying to think, are there any others? Occasionally tour, well, tour California doesn't really do no. a true summit finish. And uh, to, to, to go up a climb of that size. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's great in that respect. So the feedback that I got on that day was a 100% positive. The crowds were out. It was a new format. Um, and it's just the opportunity to do that if everyone universally thought was really cool. Now, two days later, now, now the way it worked was they took the results from the Izuard day, and I believe it was the riders who finished within, a, like, five minutes Yeah, of the I winner. think they said max 20, and I think they ended up with 19. 19. Yeah, oh, wow. right. Yeah. And it's a pursuit 
race, essentially. Yeah. So then those riders qualified for this pursuit race in, in Marseille. Fastest woman goes first. Yep. And then the time gaps determine when the others and go And first off. across the line wins. Yep. So you got to chase back that time gap. And this is where opinions started to deviate from the, oh, rah, 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 this is so great. Uh, and it wasn't message. a pure time trial. They were, they were allowed to draft, yeah. which is wacky. Yep. I mean, because that sort of defeats the point of it, I guess. Well, and I don't so know. some of the perspective that I heard was like, um, you know, since the teams weren't going to know which riders qualified for Marseille until uh, two days before it, it made it very difficult to book hotel rooms and plan for Ooh, the race and point. determine what gear you need to bring and how many riders you're even going to have there. And so it created this last minute sort of let's wait and see type scenario for these women's <laughs> teams. And these women's teams have pretty small budgets. Oh, like yeah. to, to have to book like a last minute flight and last minute hotels and stuff like that in Marseille, like that's, that's a big ask. Not knowing what gear you're going to bring. At the end of the day, it was like, no, no TT bikes. This is all road bikes. But like, what wheels do you need? What are wins going to be like? Um, there was just very difficult to plan for. Um, some of the infrastructure once once they got there wasn't great. I mean, I heard from Lizzie Dignan that like there were no women's bathrooms. And we'll we'll actually put her on in a sec here because yeah. you had a really great little interview with her. And um, so some of the execution and the concept around that just wasn't great. I will say I think some of the smartest critique though came online. Um, Judith Arndt, who was a three time world champion and one of the best women's cyclists racing when I first started covering the sport back in the mid 2000s. She'd been around, you know, for a number of years before that. She took to her Facebook page and I she, thought... She, a, is she the one who like flipped off the officials in that yep. one race? Yeah, very... Flipped off the, opinion, the, uh, the officials. I believe it was Olympic qualifications. Judith has always been very outspoken, wants, wants what is best, what she thinks is best for women's cycling. And she went on her Facebook page and wrote... Uh, this message. Uh, I'm not going to do the German accent. Mm, yeah, yeah, probably for the best. I'm saving the, out of respect the, and saving the ears of the uh, listeners of the Bell News podcast. Yeah. If it was a Chris Froome, though, I'd uh, do my I do my Froome accent. But so La Course no. is on tonight. Women cyclists are given the chance to show the world what they are capable of by riding the last bit of today's Tour de France stage, 67 kilometers. In my eyes, this is pathetic and almost humiliating. If women, if they can't organize a proper race for them, they should just leave it. Women's cycling is a serious sport and should be treated as such. 20 years ago, we had our own Tour de France, which was two weeks long with stages lengths between 120 and 150 kilometers, plus sometimes 20 kilometers of neutral. And it included all the famous climbs. There was not much money to win and no fancy hotels, but at least it was real cycling and not just a bloody show event. Emoji, angry, frowny face. Frowny face emoji. Yeah. That's, yeah. Pretty scathing. Pretty scathing. And it's true. And I she's mean, referring to the Tour de l'Ode, I believe. Tour de l'Ode, yes. Yes, the Tour de l'Ode was the Women's Tour de France. It, it went on for about 10 years, I believe, sort of late 90, mid-90s to mid-2000s. And yeah, I mean, it was a legit, uh, legit stage race. Yeah. And um, I think when viewed through the lens of the Tour de l'Ode and where women's cycling was, yeah, this event seems pretty mm. pathetic. Mm. Seems like a bit of a sideshow. Um which makes the perspective that I got from some other riders all the more interesting because the positive perspective that I got was from riders, obviously, who don't have that level of perspective. They haven't been in the sport that long. They're, they've been racing. They're, they're contemporary racers. They don't, they don't know how great the Tour de Lode was. They didn't race it. And 
within the lens, sort of the the shorter lens, um, this event really stands out as being great. And I found that a, I, I did find that a bit sad, you know, that um, that women cycling is at such a place and has been at such a place for the last few years that, you know, this unorthodox two day race is really seen as like this amazing thing. And, um, you know, the universal perspective that I got from the women that I interviewed was, okay, this is great, but give us more, give us three days, give us four days, give us five days. And I, I don't know if I'm speaking for you on this one, but like, I, I really hope that they get it. I would love to see ASO extend this out to three, four, five days. Um, you know, some of the messaging that came out of ASO wasn't great. Christian Prudhomme called this event his gift to women's cycling, Ooh, which is not great. Yeah. Could be a translation thing. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I, I agree. It would be nice to have more stages. I'll also say, um, not entirely on topic, but re- related is the Giro Rosa is a great women's stage race. Yep. And it is certainly more in keeping with the Tour de Lodes. Uh, legacy. The problem is it runs during the first week of the Tour de France, so it's very difficult to get as much media attention for it. Yep. So I'd say for starters, reschedule that race, move it a week earlier or something so that it's really the focus. And then in terms of the course, yeah, if they could add more days, if they could just run the same stage as the men, right? I mean, that that's, I think, a big con- point of contention is this short distance, the Iswar stage. Right. So. Right. So I don't know. I'm hopeful. I I hope it grows into something better. Um, it you know, like you just said, it's like they they deserve a better raise. I, I think um, Lizzie said that too. Anyway, enough with us. Let's get to some of these interviews. Um, the first up is uh, Lizzie Dugnan. I spoke with her right after the pursuit in downtown Marseille, and um, she shared her perspective on the event. All right, this is Fred Dreyer with the Vel News Podcast, and I am joined by Lizzie Dignan. Lizzie, we, we watched this race. It was nail-biter. It was a real close. Well, it was, it was very entertaining to watch. I'm curious, what's your overall assessment of this event, La Course, in general, with the Izuard stage and then the stage today? Uh, for me, the Izuard stage was really good. Loved it. Um, and it was a great opportunity for us, and we all took it very seriously, raced it professionally. Um, and then today was kind of a bit more of an experiment, a bit of fun, and uh, we took it as seriously as probably we felt the organisers took us today. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting, and I, I have an open mind to it. It's probably, you know, the way modern cycling is going. Uh, we got a lot of exposure for our sponsors, and that's good. Um, but as an athlete... Today wasn't uh, what I'm used to, you know. Yeah, yeah. I know some of the criticism um, that's been around the event is, you know, that it's not the size that women's cycling deserves. I thought that some of the smartest criticism came actually from Judith Arndt on her Facebook page, talking about how 20 years ago there was a women's Tour de France, two two weeks, 150k stages, and when looked at through that lens, this event doesn't really live up to that expectation. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm reluctant to be critical because I think it's about being constructive and positive. Um, but at the same time, I'm in a position where I think it's important that I speak up and do speak up for women's cycling. And I agree with those comments previously. We're at a stage now where we deserve more, probably. Um, and each year it's growing, which is good. We're going in the right direction. Uh, but I don't know. 
I guess, like I said before, maybe it's modern cycling. Maybe it's what people want. I don't know. Uh, I'm open-minded to the reaction. Uh, but certainly the things behind the scenes need to improve in terms of the organisation and the preparation that we had coming into this race. It's difficult as an athlete to take it seriously. Interesting. Um, specifically, this event seemed like it was really challenging to game plan for. I mean, to create a strategy for, because it's not like anything you have done before. It's time trial, but there can be groups. What type of strategy did you come into for this event? Uh, we Our strategy was basically win on the cold as well, or, you know, at least treat that as a one-day event and then treat this as a bit of fun and see what happened because it's it's all the behind the scenes stuff that as a consumer as somebody that's watching cycling you don't necessarily have an appreciation for it's all the hotels that need booking it's flights that need booking for people who are potentially coming here or potentially going home uh it's bikes spare bikes wheels what wheels do you need all all things that we can't prepare for properly uh you know as an athlete this morning i was in a car park looking for a female toilet and there wasn't any at the start so to warm up for a time trail not knowing where the closest bathroom is if there is one at all it's difficult to take that seriously so from our perspective it was about thursday the cold day as well and then again like i said before kind of seeing what happened today i, I don't definitely don't want to take away anything from Meek and her victory you know uh incredible performances from her and it's not uh, any reflection on her the things that I'm saying now okay. really appreciate it Lizzie alright All right, cool. right, that was Lizzie you know you, like you said she she was she was a little bummed out with the thing the whole uh, no women's toilet like that's pretty lame that's a little bush league uh, did, does the Tour de France just think that everyone at the event is going to be a dude because I mean yeah. people beyond the racers are going to need that like come oh. on and I will say um, I got up the I got up pretty early the day after the time trial went on a jog around uh, Marseille whole place smelled like piss mm-hmm. so maybe that was uh, <laughs> not so, from the drunk people the night before this is how you do it in France yeah, it's, it's very just, simple yeah. oh man the it's French natural, the public eh? urination um, <laughs> let's hear from uh, Kazia Niwadoma because I spoke to her too she had a bit more of a positive um, perspective on the event and um, you know she also said she'd like to see it grow but um, really liked that day on the Ease Award okay I'm at the finish of La Course and I'm joined by Kazia Nivodoma um, Kazia how did your race go today? Uh, it was as I expected it was pretty hard uh, I was to n- I'm not gonna hide that uh, I was hoping to catch the front group uh, but yeah of course they also were cooperating with each other and going full uh, yeah, it's really crazy race, and actually, I'm I really enjoyed it. it. Would be cool if we had like more opportunities to race like this. Let's say instead of having criterium, maybe race like this. So yeah, I'm looking forward for next year what they're gonna organize. It seems like this was today was a difficult race to plan for because yeah. there were gaps. You could ride in the pack, but strategy yeah. was difficult. What was your strategy coming in? Yeah, as you said, the strategy was really difficult because we we don't know what other teams is planning. We don't know if they want to like wait for each other or go full. Everyone can do something different. And yeah, I had nothing to lose and nothing to gain actually. So I thought, okay, I just need to go as hard as I can. And yeah, I tried. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, everyone is hoping for better place, but yeah. 
I have to accept it. <laughs> What's your overall assessment of the of the event in general? You know, there's the Izuar Day and then the Pursuit Day today. What 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 have been your thoughts on it? You know, if I had Alex from uh, England or from Artens Classic, I would say that I love that. I really would say that I love. But uh, yeah, my shape wasn't as I expected. So I struggle so much, uh, but other than that, it's still so cool, and I'm looking forward for having more opportunities to press stages like uh, Isoart because we don't have many chances to, we don't have any opportunities actually to finish a race on the summit. So it's yeah, it's really hard, and also yeah, I think it can help for developing our women's sport. So is this event good for women's cycling? Definitely, for sure. It's like two days but uh, brought a lot of media attractions and everyone was kind of interested it was also broadcast in tv so i think uh, yeah more people see that okay we are not only the ladies with the braids who ride two hours on the bike you know the criticism that i heard of the event was 20 years ago there was a women's tour de france yeah. two weeks big stages whatever so this event you know it's only it's only two days what what's your uh, assessment of that uh, yeah, I'm not gonna hide that would be great if we had like a bit longer stage, stage race, but uh, I see improvements every year. So like last year we only got like Criterium and Champs-Élysées and now we have uh, two stages. So some, uh, somewhere I'm having a hope that maybe next year it will be with the four stages, then with five and maybe finally we got like zero ten days. That would be awesome for sure. I hope that too, Kazia. Yeah, I do too. I would be great, well, right? thank you so much. All right, Spencer, let's bring this thing home. Um, so we haven't done Ask a Cat 3 in a while. It's time. It's time. It's we time to bring it back. two Cat 3s in the room. And, you know, this whole talk about, like, press conferences and media yeah, availability. right, right, right. has me wondering if the Velo News podcast listeners need some, uh, some Cat 3 media advice. I think they do. All right, so here's our Cat 3 question. Um, how, let's say, yeah, you're like, your college newspaper comes up to you to do an interview. Like, like, what's your media strategy, your Cat 3 media strategy? I would say, for starters, you have to just completely deflect the conversation away from your successful career, which is probably what they're actually trying to talk to you about, and really get into some specifics of your training Ooh, yeah. and um, yeah. you know, throw around some wattage numbers, just mm-hmm. in case any of the readers are clued into that. Yeah. Uh, Maybe thank your uh, coach a lot. Oh, definitely some shout-outs, sponsor shout-outs. Uh-huh. Uh, do that a few times. And um, yeah, the coach, too, especially if it's like a real big name coach like you want to throw around a name a little dude i think we should get jobs in pr you know this is how to handle any interview more lucrative i'd say that much that's true uh my cat three advice um start at the beginning Mm. you know just like real origin story yeah yeah yeah. if they're asking you like hey man what happened in the race be like well here's how i got into bikes yeah i was 13 and i used to love to ride my bmx bike down to the dump and back yeah didn't have many friends just that me and that BMX bike. Hey, just remember, because this little rinky-dink reporter f- from your college newspaper, just because he was going to do a short story on you, doesn't mean you can't convince him to do a real blown-out feature on you. Oh, yeah. Real yeah. soft focus, like yes. twinkly piano keys in the back. Yep, yep. I uh, like it. Could be uh, could be some potential for like enhanced web content, like Ooh. do some imagery, some graphs. Guys, do you need a PR professional? Because Spencer and Fred... This is, this is easy. We got you covered. Easy, easy. Uh, Well, Well, that's our Ask a Cat 3. That's our Ask a Cat 3. I hope it helped. (laughs) 
Well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on Velnews.com. Subscribe to the Velnews Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Comment and rating. Become a fan on Velnews at Facebook on Facebook on at Facebook.com slash Magazine. And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Velo News Podcast is produced by Velo News, which is owned by the competitor group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Velo News Podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with a Brooklyn Boogly blowout playing the Bernard Verdi Classic Soul Drums. Yeah.